Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Friday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for being with us on your Friday. Lot to dive into today. IU active in the portal, plus a key for the Colts on Saturday. Yes, remember the Colts play tomorrow. Uh, Marcus Freeman. It's a big year next year based on the list of returns and potential returns coming back for the Irish. We'll get to that. What is the expectation? Plus, in hour number two, Rob Blackman, the voice of the Boilermakers, will join us to preview Purdue and Arizona number one versus number three Saturday afternoon, Gamebridge Fieldhouse in Indy for the Indy Classic. Plus, IU plays its final marquee non-conference game of the season against number two, Kansas. What is success? How do you measure success in this matchup? We'll debate that uh, in hour number two. Also, we'll talk with Shane Alberani, the voice of the Comets, in hour number two, around 8.30. Uh, get his thoughts on Michael Franke, remembering uh, the late Comets co-owner and team president, and also preview the weekend ahead. Out of the division this weekend, three straight against the Utah Grizzlies. So we'll get Shane's thoughts on that. And before we leave you, from Grizzlies to Bulls... Um, an interesting obstacle for trains in New Jersey. We'll get to that. I saw this yesterday, <laughs> and and uh, just uh, chaos in the uh, in the Northeast Corridor yesterday. Yeah, it's the picture is great too. Yeah, we'll get to it. He's just chilling. Got, got to do what you got to do, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure that but, was the uh, smart choice. As important as passenger trains are in Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, the Northeast Corridor. This was not ideal. No. Yesterday. Not mm. ideal at all. No, it was not. Uh, 46862 is your text line number. 46862. Uh, don't forget, uh, we're still giving away another pair of tickets to see WWE Sunday Stunner on April 21st at the Coliseum. All right. Our word of the day is... Man, it's going to be tough to beat uh, yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday was was great. That was probably like our all-time best keyword. Uh, we're going to go with wrestling today. Not wrestling. 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 Wrestling is the keyword today to 46862. All right. You you heard him. Text wrestling to 46862. Uh, we'll accept any form of spelling for this. Yes. Because I don't think there's a defined spelling for a slang I w- word. I would go W-R-A-S-S-L-I-N apostrophe. It would be the official, but you just get close to it and you'll be entered. That's actually what I would do as well. So... Uh, but that or some iteration that is similar enough that we can tell. Text it in on the text line at 46862. Um, I already got a, a couple entries. Thank you. Again, wrestling to 46862. And you'll be in the running for that pair of tickets. See WWE Sunday Stunner April 21st at the Coliseum. Our winner will be selected at the end of the show. So get your entries in now and throughout the show. And also, again, don't forget these tickets will be emailed to you. So make sure... Uh, you have an email address ready for us uh, if we select you. All right. So you had a big night last night. Um, sun showing off yes, on sir. the uh, electric guitar Christmas concert he time. He did Christmas concert. So he. Or, or sorry, are we supposed to call it a holiday concert? Uh, I don't know. It's the worst day Christmas <laughs> concert. So uh, no, he did really well. That was uh, last night. Played uh, about six songs and the baby cried every time people clapped. <laughs> quirky kid but um no it was a good night last night to um for him to wrap up his uh 
his uh, electric guitar session pre-Christmas with a, a nice concert last night, and uh, he showed up. The Los Angeles Chargers did not <laughs> no. show up on Thursday Night Football. <laughs> that leads off our headlines. So I had this game on the background while I was doing show prep, and I'm like, eh, whatever. Like, I don't really care about this matchup at all. Maybe it could be entertaining. And, like, every time I'm looking up, I'm seeing a touchdown. It was unbelievable. Uh, Aiden O'Connell was just outstanding. 20-34, 248, four touchdowns, three of them in the first half. Uh, Jacoby Myers even threw for a touchdown, um, a, a wide receiver. And uh, you had the fact that you had a, a, a defensive touchdown as well. An Easton stick, oof. The numbers look good, but it was a lot of garbage time stuff for him in his first start as Justin Herbert again out for the season. Now, Brandon Stately, does he get fired today? Man, I mean, if a, a dude that... Here, here's always the thing for me is when you know it's time to fire a coach is when a team just gives up and credit to AOC last night and everything he did, but the chargers gave up last night. Yes. I mean, it was pathetic and I don't know how many arm tackles there were just lack of effort on the backside of plays with the defense, just no pursuit whatsoever. It was a team last night that gave up and that's when you call it a day with your head coach. I don't know if he gets fired necessarily today, but this really started in the playoffs last year when the Chargers were up 27 to nothing on Jacksonville in the wild card and lost 31 to 30. I mean, it, through the first two years, Brendan Staley was, was pretty solid, 19 and 15, two playoff appearances. Um, well, no, just one playoff appearance, but two over 500 seasons. But the wheels have completely fallen off in L.A. You can play well. They didn't have J- Justin Herbert. They gave up 63 points last night. Brutal. After getting shut out, the Raiders, against the Vikings yeah, last, last week, week in that 3 nothing game. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Brandon Staley's getting fired at some point. Today, I don't know, but he's getting fired. Yes, and I would be more surprised if he's not fired before the end of the season. Do you feel... Because we're so close to the end of the season, yeah, they like, just let it go? Just, or No, I, I say just fire make the move now after what they did last night. And i got to correct myself. I think Aiden O'Connell, I think I said he had three at halftime. No, he had four, all four. Uh, 42 to nothing. The score 42 to nothing at halftime. It was, a, <laughs> it was a college score last night. For anybody that bothered to turn this game on to begin with, you were treated to an absolute laugher last night. And uh, yeah, Braden Staley's all but done in L.A. Uh, so it, it's it's a situation where the games that look terrible on paper always bring you the some of the most wild results. Yes. And that was the case last night. Also, it was a scoregami. Was it really? Yes, 63-21. 63-21, Um, You had, it was just, it was just bad. I mean, the, the, the sack fumble for a touchdown. Then you had the the screen pass that was intercepted, returned for a touchdown. <laughs> I was just like, it was just brutality last night, and that was like the last play of or one of the last plays of the third quarter was the was the sack fumble for a score, and then one of the first plays in the fourth quarter was the pick for six, and it was just like laughable. It looked like that that pick six looked. I sent it to you. You were asleep at the time. Yeah, I was just scrolling Twitter. I'm like, hmm, what am I missing? And then I saw that play. I'm like, oh. And it was just like, it was it was like backyard football in terms of just being able to pick it off and run it back. It was just ugly all around 
for the Chargers last night. Didn't Al Michaels say something along the lines of, there are bad dreams, then there are bad dreams. <laughs> yeah, it was just like a running joke all night because it was 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter. So Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit basically talking, well, this is a, a bad performance by the Chargers, a bad start while it continued throughout the, the entirety of the four quarters. It was just an absolute laugher. You wonder why Al Michaels can't get excited about Thursday night football games. <laughs> Exhibit A last night. Yes. Uh, someone texting in at 46862. Uh, CK, AOC hasn't done too bad since he walked on at Purdue eighth on the quarterback depth chart. When you think about his story, going from like Wheaton to walking on at Purdue, uh, getting fourth round, you know, drafted in the fourth round to now starting, not only just starting, but playing well, um, I think is just, it's an amazing story. And I don't know what his future is and in, in terms of I think Raiders, he can, if he can be a backup yeah in, I think in the he NFL can be a, a, I think a solid backup I mean prior to last night he had more interceptions than touchdowns and he's not a running quarterback but for what he was in going to Purdue like you mentioned to now it's it's very much a success story and a great night last night for AOC but I really believe you could have put anybody at quarterback last night for the Raiders, and they would have absolutely torched the Chargers. That that team has just given up. Yes, and uh, from one LA team that's struggling to one that everything seems to be going right, the Rays have agreed to trade Tyler Glasnow to the Dodgers. <laughs> I miss this, but uh, well, when you're only paying the best player in baseball $2 million a year for the next 10 years, well, it gives you a little bit of breathing room and uh, in, in free agency with your salary cap and yeah, the Dodgers are just uh, continue, continue to load up. And I just, uh, I have a hard time um, in major league baseball when it comes down to just no salary cap. Like it's yes. just like it, it grows more and more absurd to me that there is no cap in major league baseball. So this is interesting. Only Otani, and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are signed by the Dodgers beyond 2025. That's it. That's it, huh? That's the list. Mm. That said, the Dodgers have only won one World Series in Correct. recent years. 2020. I think it was 2020. So, despite them loading up, loading up, loading up, it, it, it doesn't guarantee a World Series. But, I will argue that it it cuts into your um, ability to swing and miss on certain guys and still be good. Uh, I mean, it cuts down on the chances that you are really going to flub it up by, by throwing big money out there. So the margin for error is significant for teams that can just throw stupid money out there like the Dodgers can. Uh, also part of the deal, uh, the Dodgers will get outfielder Manuel Margot. And the Dodgers are sending right-hand starter Ryan Pepio and outfield prospect Johnny DeLuca to the race. Unfortunately for Tampa, this is how it goes. It's it's the sell-off, right? You have an ounce of success, and you sell off. Now, this is funny, too, is staying with the Rays. Did you see this with their uh, yes. stadium <laughs> and their co-president with the St. Petersburg City Council? Uh, he said that the franchise will not agree to any ballpark deal that requires the team to change its name because the stadium is being built in St. Petersburg, which is not Tampa Bay. And the mayor of St. Petersburg had previously suggested 
that the city stipulate that the Rays swap out Tampa Bay for St. Petersburg in exchange for land development rights and an estimated $600 million in public financing. I don't blame the mayor. Like, if you're throwing that much money into you should this, get the name. you should get the name. But the co-president, Brian Auld, for Tampa Bay, not a fan of having to change, potentially change the name. Here's the thing. If you're going to chase the money in another city, now Tampa Bay and St. Peter are adjacent to each other. I get it. But if you're going to chase the money in another metropolitan district, effectively, then you should be open to having to change your name. I, I think I'm, that's fair. I agree. Right? I mean, if Tampa gonna, Bay's not giving you the money for the stadium. You're going to finance that St. much Pete money. Is. You should have a say in the name of the stadium. Uh, I would say, too. So that this could be something. This could be nothing. But, I mean, if the Rays president wants to reject a new stadium and, and, and then go back to the trop long term, it could be a death knell for the Tampa Bay Rays. But this could be an interesting story to watch because I think the St. Pete mayor, Rick Baker, definitely has, in my opinion, the the upper hand in this one because it's his city that's putting up the estimated $600 million in public financing to build a new ballpark. And I believe he's been the mayor there for quite some time. Really? Uh, he's yeah. He's ensconced. Uh, so it's, yeah, I, I, I just think... This is a situation where you got to make concessions if you're <laughs> it's just kind of, um, getting a, quite the handout to begin with. Unless he's saying, hey, we're going to move to Montreal. That'll show you. And, and maybe <laughs> yeah. that forces St. Pete's hand. But I don't know. I, I, I think it's a, 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 a deal of a, a, a ask for the Rays to change their name if St. Pete's put up a lot of money. In the NCAA, they've spoken out about the temporary restraining order, the 14-day temporary restraining order on the um, multi-transfer reversal. Um, The NCAA says transfers who compete during the temporary restraining order will lose eligibility if the decision is reversed. So I, we talked about this yesterday. I just don't think players are going to take advantage of the current situation because they know that they could potentially lose their eligibility. There's too much at risk. Yes, I would agree. I love the idea of someone, you know, doing it. It'd be a big story, but there are lawyers and people advising them on things like this. And again, you can't take that risk. Uh, Meanwhile, elsewhere in college sports, positive news for Dick Vitale. I saw this yesterday, and this is obviously really good news. He, He said, Santa Claus came early for me and my family. He was on the phone with his oncologist and... The PET scan was clean. No cancer. Blood work was good. So positive news for Dickie V. Excellent news for Dick Vitale. Hopefully we see him at some point this season back on the sidelines. And the Indiana Pacers from college basketball to the NBA uh, making a move rather quickly after what happened with the Bucks. Uh, free agent for James Johnson returning back to the Indiana Pacers on a one-year deal. He played for the Pacers last year, 15th NBA season. And I love this this wording from Woj about the signing. Johnson brings his physical toughness and veteran influence back to a burgeoning Pacers roster. Uh, uh, the physical toughness part yeah, is like, the aspect here at play. He can play defense is how I read that. <laughs> or is willing to play defense. It is willing to um, get in the fray, so to speak. I, I read a couple of things that people said uh, NBA players were asked with the one guy they would not mess with. And it was James Johnson. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> well, it can only help the Pacers. They need something on the defensive end of the floor. 
And continuing on back here uh, in Indiana as well, Mr. Football has been named. And congrats to Josh Ringer, East Central running back, being the 2023 Indiana Mr. Football, second Mr. Football in the school's history. Josh Martini won in 1994. Yeah, the East Central standout. East Central just dominated uh, 4A. Finished his high school career with school records of 6,600 rushing yards, 118 total touchdowns. He was the standout player for the uh, East Central team that rolled to a state championship, uh, beat up uh, Ron, uh, New, Cat, New Prairie, I believe, in the... Beat Ron Colley in the process. Yes. Went, uh, beat Ron Colley in the semi-state, I believe, and then New Prairie in the state championship game. Went, uh, went for 171 yards, four touchdowns against New Prairie. Finished the season, 2,368 rushing yards, 39 touchdowns. That was as a junior and um, pretty wild, pretty wild stats that he's been able to put up. And he'll be playing at Miami of Ohio next year. So congrats. Going to the MAC. To Josh Ringer, uh, Indiana Mr. Football for 2023. 46862 is our text line number, 46862. That is how you reach us. Also, you can listen to us. If you can't listen on your radio, the stream is available to you free at 1380thefan.com. The app as well, free download, or on your smart speaker for free as well. And don't forget you can text Rasslin to 46862. Rasslin to 46862 and me in the running for that pair of tickets to WWE Sunday Stunner April 21st at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. All right, Indiana uh finally making some moves in the portal. They have landed a quarterback from the transfer portal, former Ohio QB Curtis Rourke, committed to IU. Uh he had an okay season last year, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions for a pretty good Ohio squad, but it was his 2022 that was even more impressive. Uh, threw for over 3,200 yards, uh, 69% completion percentage, 25 touchdowns, just four picks, also rushed for four TDs as well. So you look at the Indiana quarterback room, you now have Rourke, you have Taven Jackson, and... Remember, James Madison QB Jordan McLeod is still in the portal. Could he also be at play for Coach Signetti and the Hoosiers? Well, this is a player in Rourke that has a single year of eligibility remaining, so you feel like he's going to get the best shot at QB1 for Indiana because that's what they were selling, I'm sure, to land Rourke. So you're looking at a quarterback room that says Rourke, Taven Jackson, Brock Lowry, uh, Alberto Mendoza is the guy that's coming in, the incoming class. Um, so you thought maybe that they could get the guy from James Madison. You thought that that may be the most likely path, but instead they land um, Curtis Rourke, and we'll see how that goes. He was ranked uh, number 17 among quarterback transfers this offseason, earned second team All-Mac honors this past year, uh, 6'5", 216. So a big dude, relatively big dude, but uh, he'll have to step up considerably jumping in to the Big Ten. And he suffered an ACL injury in the 11th game in 2022 uh, against Ball State. So last year playing with, you know, rehabbing, but, you know, that's a, a quick turnaround. Takes a bit. So we'll, we'll see what kind of factor that plays in. It shouldn't be a factor now at this point, but... Uh, IU has a quarterback. We'll see if they go after one more. I doubt it between having Taven Jackson, Rourke. You mentioned Mendoza coming in. 
Um, I would I would be surprised, but we'll see. Yeah, McLeod probably won't make a move until after their bowl game anyway. I just feel like they're done probably um, at this point at quarterback. I think they have plenty more to add in the portal if they can, but I think they're done at a quarterback. I would agree. So, and the other thing, Signetti T's big news coming as well. This ah. was after the Rourke commitments. Does that mean Donovan McCauley coming back? Something bigger? Does that we mean shall see. a rebuild of Memorial Stadium? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So I guess at quarterback, do you think it's between Rourke and Jackson? Yes. And I think Rourke has the inside. It is his job to lose, as they say. I really feel. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. It's only the second transfer in, I believe, outside of Ellison from Wake Forest. So still some work to do in the transfer portal for Kurt Signetti. Yeah, quite a bit. But here's the thing. I mean, when you got a new coach, right, you don't have a plan coming in into the portal. Notre Dame had had already kind of pre-selected the guys they wanted, and their list is much smaller because it's got to be a grad transfer, right? Right. So for IU, coach comes in, you got to build a staff. That's been done. Then you've got to start going after positions of need. And the good thing is at least they got their uh, star offensive lineman coming back. So you at least have a building block there and you already got a running back as well. And now you have a quarterback and you just, you got to keep adding pieces. Well, it's, it's key because of the amount that you lost in the portal. Carter Smith coming back was huge. You hope that Jordan Greer also coming back can be a guy that can develop and be a better player next year in about his, what is his third, fourth season in Indiana. But you look at what you lost in the portal when you go Donovan McCauley and uh, Khalil Benson and um, man, spacing. Oh, Jalen Lucas, Camp yep. Camper. Um, so... You need an infusion of talent and getting guys like Rourke and Justice Ellison is a good start. But I think those are sexy lands, but I think you're going to need guys in the trenches. You're going to need guys in that front seven defensively. See if you can land more guys in the portal right now. I look at that roster and saying it's less talented than it was this past season. And that doesn't bode well for 2024, but if they can continue to add players in the portal, they can cut into that gap a little bit. 46862, the text line number again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, the Colts running game has to get on, get back on track for a chance Saturday against the Steelers. We'll take a look at the numbers next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 the fan and 100.9 FM. What's going on? Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 the fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, thanks for joining us on your Friday, 46862. Is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862 is the text line number. And if you want to enter to win a pair of tickets, see WWE Sunday Stunner, April 21st at the Coliseum. Our word of the day is. Wrestling. 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 Going to go watch some wrestling in October <laughs> or April. April. Oof. Yes, April. <laughs> Good save. Uh, way off. <laughs> Uh, yes, wrestling to 46862. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. That's coming up in April. Coming up tomorrow, the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium, a Saturday game in the NFL. And the Colts taking on the Steelers. Numbers all time not in the Colts' favor. 
Uh, Jim Irsay tweeted this. The Colts, now this includes, I think, the days in Baltimore. Colts 6-26 all-time against Pittsburgh. But even worse, Pittsburgh is 4-0 against the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. Oh. Yeah. Now, the Colts will be wearing their throwback 1956 unis, ah. which I'm excited for that. Uh, nice. the, the Colts uh, logo with, like, the... You know, the Colt jumping with the helmet yep. popping off is just perfection. Yes. Should wear them more. Yes. I agree. Uh, I'd be thrilled if that were the logo every week. Yes. I think it's a really clean look. Looks good. But uh, for the Colts without Jonathan Taylor, these last two games. 55 yards, just 2.4 yards per carry against Tennessee. The Colts won that game in overtime. 46 yards, 2.6 yards per carry against Cincy, and we all saw what happened, and that one did not go well. So... You don't have Braden Smith, who didn't practice this week with a knee injury. He's missed six games. You have T.J. Watt healthy coming out of concussion protocol. He has 14 sacks on the season. Alex Highsmith is questionable. Um, we'll see what that what that means. And the Steelers, seventh in scoring defense, allowing just over 19 points a game. They are 21st in yards allowed, but eighth in red zone uh, percentage as far as scoring. So all these numbers you look at, it, it does not look good for the Colts going into it. But you got to remember the Steelers' offense is pretty hapless. And the Steelers are coming off a couple bad weeks. They became the first NFL team with a winning record to lose back-to-back home games to teams at least eight games under 500. <laughs> and they've only topped the 20-point mark once in their last seven games. So you feel like, okay, a struggling Pittsburgh offense that dropped two bad games at home Losing to, who did they lose to last week? New England. Yes, And the that week was before bad. that was Arizona. So back-to-back bad losses after winning at Cincinnati in the last weekend of November. So you feel like the Colts need this game. Steelers do too. But you feel like the Colts are in a better spot. Still winners of four of their last five, despite losing last week. And... You look at T.J. Watt, still kind of questionable. Well, he's been cleared to play, but spent most of the week in in concussion protocol. You have Alex Highsmith. He's questionable after still being limited in practice. So where are the Steelers at in terms of their outside linebackers, the guys that bring the edge uh, along the edge? Those two have combined for 20 sacks, 43 quarterback hits, five forced fumbles, two picks, two touchdowns. And with Highsmith potentially out, on a short week, that could be a big advantage for Indianapolis. And that said, the Colts 2-9 and nine in their last 11 at Lucas Oil Stadium. And Pittsburgh has won 8 straight and 9 of the past 10 in this series. So, and I mentioned 4-0 Lucas Oil Stadium. It's just, this has been a team that has had the Colts number just over the course of time. Now, granted, Pittsburgh's been one of the better teams in the NFL for a very long time. This is a chance to take advantage of a down Pittsburgh team. But what do you always say when it comes to these matchups in the NFL? The most desperate team wins, right? And and I yeah. just I don't feel confident going in because the Steelers are desperate. I mean, their their playoff hopes are very much on the line. Granted, so are the Colts in this game, but the Colts at least still have a a divisional game to try to reset things coming up at the end of the season, and I think that's huge. The way I look at this for the Colts no running game, no chance of victory. And that's what it's been the last couple weeks. Yes, they got lucky because Tennessee is flat out bad, right? And the Colts rallied back in that game. I don't think the Colts can rally back against the Steelers' defense, especially if T.J. Watt is healthy enough to play and is effective. 
I think a big thing too, the great equalizer is Mitch Trubisky on the other side. You're facing a bad quarterback in Mitch Trubisky. And if he can have the Steelers are very good when they don't turn the ball over. They're yes. four and one this season when they don't turn the ball over, two and five when they do. The problem is Mitchell Trubisky is a turnover machine. Last week showed the inability, even multiple years into the NFL, to not recognize the fact that triple coverage is not a good idea to throw into. It's not? No, no. It, <laughs> it hasn't been in a while. So and if this is a text that just came in, Trubisky is QB, all quarterback, all courts have to do is not turn it over and wait for Trubisky to hand them points. Exactly. It's Trubisky's trash. So if the Indianapolis Colts don't beat themselves tomorrow, they win this game. I know it is a desperate Pittsburgh team. I know that the defense for Pittsburgh is going to be tough with or without Alex Highsmith out there. But when you're facing Mitch Trubisky, yes, you play the long game. You do what it needs to, you need to do to keep it close because Mitch Trubisky is going to hand you this game. As much as you talk about turnovers, though, on the season, I mean, the Steelers are plus 10 and the Colts are only plus one when it comes to turnover differential. Yes. So, so key it, is to not turn the ball yeah, over. I, Again, uh, Highsmith is, is uh, and I'm late on this, when Carroll here to play. So Highsmith and Watt will both be in there. Uh, thanks to the texter for letting us know, which is bad news for the Colts offensively because they've been so disruptive uh, at their outside linebacker spots all season long. But you're facing Mitch Trubisky. I just keep coming back to that. You're facing Mitch Trubisky, okay? I say advantage Colts. I say advantage Steelers because Highsmith and Watt will play. Oh, and Blake Freeland is starting. And yes, he's been solid, but he's facing one of the potential defensive player of the year candidates uh, that he's going to have to block. And I just don't feel very confident about that situation. And, you know, this has not been talked about probably enough for the Colts this year. The fact that Braden Smith has been limited by injuries. It's, you know, obviously a lot of focus on Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson. Uh, and their their injuries and contracts and all of that stuff, but like Braden Smith and not having him in the lineup, the offensive line, as beleaguered as it was last year, has been solid this season. I wouldn't say they've been phenomenal; they've been good. But the last couple weeks, it has been bad. And with Braden Smith missing more and more games, this is something I don't know if the Colts can o- overcome because if they can't run the football, they can't do anything offensively. Well, they need to run the football, but they also need to protect Gardner Minshew tomorrow. And it's a Pittsburgh defense that is is very good, particularly up front, and they can't make mistakes. So if I think if, if, if Indianapolis can play a relatively clean game, they don't need to go for 400 yards of total offense. This could be very much an ugly game tomorrow, but the Indianapolis Colts can win this game. So I come back and, and force Mitch Trubisky to make plays to beat you because I guarantee you he can't. So that's going to be the key for the Colts. Uh, Texas coming in, 46862. Sounds like Minshew just needs to be a game manager, not a game changer. As long as the as the running game is working and you're not falling behind, yes, I agree. But get some pressure on, on Mitch. Force him into some mistakes. Sometimes you don't even have to force him into mistakes. Sometimes he just does it anyway. Trust me. I'm a Bears fan. I watch Mitch Trubisky. I know how this works. So it, I, I feel like this is... Uh, a game that the Colts should win tomorrow. Should. I guess I'm not sold because of the Steelers and the Colts just never seem to, to find a way against Pittsburgh 
even when everything is handed to them <clears throat> in 2005, <clears throat> Nick Harbour. <clears throat> oh, being the number one seed. Is that what you're referring yeah. to yes. back in 2005? Yeah, that brutal loss where everything that could have gone wrong on one play in particular went wrong, and that's what did the Colts in in that game. Uh, also, your Bears bias is showing just because of Mitch Trubisky. Here, here's the thing. If the Colts can't run the ball, Gardner Minshew is going to face pressure from Highsmith and Watt and that Steelers defense. He will turn the ball over. And again, most desperate team wins, right? The Steelers are the more desperate team. And I think I've been waiting all year as the, the Colts have, you know, they went on that surprising four-game win streak. It was very positive. But at some point, like, you got to show that you are a playoff team, right? And, and we'll see that from one of these two teams coming up tomorrow afternoon. And I'm just not sold it's the Colts. Uh, the Steelers are not a playoff team with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. That could change. Kenny Pickett can come back, but they're not a playoff team. Does that make the Colts a playoff team? No, not necessarily. But I do think they're in a better position at quarterback going into tomorrow. But, as we said, the running game, can that get going? Uh, can they defend? Can the offensive line hold back Highsmith and Watt considerably uh, enough to allow Minshew to make plays? And then the defense of the Indianapolis Colts. Can they limit that run game? for the Steelers. And, uh, I mean, Najee Harris has been an absolute force. So that's going to be a storyline as well. If you let the Steelers run all over you, then it marginalizes the impact that Mitch Trubisky has to have. But if you put Pittsburgh into some negative situations and they have to lean on Mitch to make plays, then you're in a a good spot. Uh, Text coming in, Steelers are a QB away from being the favorite in the AFC, they've been outgained in 12 of 13 games and are 7 and 6. Frustrating as a Steelers fan to watch guys like Herbert, Cousins, etc. waste away. I don't know if I'm putting them as a favorite in the AFC of that at quarterback. It depends on the quarterback. But they are definitely on the on the rise. And, and as a Steelers fan, and we've had some of these text us throughout the week, is this is how the majority of the NFL operates, trying to identify franchise quarterbacks. You had Ben Roethlisberger for so so many years, right? So this is how the other side, we've, we said this about the Colts. This is how the other side deals with trying to identify franchise quarterbacks. So we'll see if Mitch Trubisky can do enough for Pittsburgh to win, or he can do enough to hand the game to Indianapolis tomorrow. Magic number in this game is 20. The Colts have scored 20-plus in all but two games this year. The Steelers uh, have not scored more than 20 points in their past four games. Losses to the Patriots, the Cardinals, a 16-10 win against the Bengals, and a 13-10 loss at Cleveland. So they haven't scored 20 or more since beating the Packers 23-19. to You know, three intriguing games tomorrow because you have this one, the middle of three, but you have Minnesota and Cincinnati from the Queen City tomorrow, and then you have Denver and Detroit tomorrow night Denver playing well Detroit coming off a bad loss to the Bears last week so if you're not doing anything tomorrow if you haven't been locked in yet with something going on you have three good NFL games to watch oh and the start of bowl season for college <laughs> yeah. football tomorrow yeah ton of bowl games actually like six games tomorrow if you're if you're uh, big into uh, Jack uh, you know Miami of Ohio and App State that's 3:30 on ABC UCLA Boise State, uh, uh, the primetime game on ABC as well. How about that? I just, I just love the bowl names. So we have the the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Okay, that's we have the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Yeah, we have the Cricket Celebration Bowl, which I believe is the HBCU de facto championship game. 
because it's Howard and Florida A&M, okay. which I know are HBCUs. You have the Avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl. Uh, see, that's a good one. The, I don't know, is it Isleta? New uh, Mexico Bowl? Sure. Uh, the LA Bowl. The Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. The Famous Toastery Bowl is coming up next week. Ooh. So that on the horizon. Famous Toastery Bowl. Yeah, that is yeah. a brunch restaurant is my understanding. Uh, never been there, never heard of it. I, yeah, I hadn't either until bowl season. So six bowl games coming up tomorrow if you're into that sort of thing. Coming up on the other side, speaking of college football, Marcus Freeman. College football playoff or bust in 2024. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning and Fitty here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Uh, again, 50 Cent is uh, one of the worst first pitches I've ever seen. Yes, totally. Between bad. him and it was the mayor. Was it the mayor of Cincinnati? That one's bad. Uh, pop singer, the the call, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen also had the the call me maybe singer. Okay. Also had one of the worst first pitches. Who's the one? I've ever the one that get that hits the photographer in the groin. Oh yeah, I forget. I can't remember who one. threw that one, but yeah, Fifty Cent. It was a bad. It was bad. 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 <laughs> Very much so. Uh, very bad. Uh, what can be good is you going to see WWE Sunday Stunner April 21st at the Coliseum. Just text wrestling to 46862. Again, wrestling to 46862, and you will be entered to win. That's all you got to do. Wrestling. Uh, we'll pick a winner at the end of the show for a pair of tickets. Again, April 21st at the Coliseum. All right. More uh, news for Notre Dame as far as. Comings and goings. Riley Mills, defensive lineman, will return. So along with Howard Cross, the Irish keep their interior defensive lineman. Jack Kaiser returning. Xavier Watts to be determined, but he was named unanimous All-America. The 36th uh, Irish player in school history to do that. But all signs, I would say, point to him returning uh, with this team. We shall see. Uh, Audric Estime off to the NFL, but again, they have a deep running back room. They got wide receivers in the portal and could potentially get another another one. The defense is elite with everyone coming back. Quarterback situation may be the only question mark for this team, but they got the guy that they had targeted in the portal, and Riley Leonard remains to be seen if he can return to form from his 2022 season. But look, they even got their kicker, Justin. Mitch Jeter from South Carolina. Hasn't missed a field goal on, what, under 50 yards last yeah. year? Something like that? 23-25. So there are no excuses for this team next year in terms of college football playoff, right? No, not with 12 teams. And I think the biggest thing is the schedule. And it's easy in December to say next year's schedule looks easy or hard. But because who would have thought Louisville would have been Louisville last year? But next year you get Louisville at home. So you go to Kyle Field and College Station to play Texas A&M to start the season. But that's a team obviously in flux with a new coach. And, and they've trying lost to figure things out. Okay, they're losing a 14, lot. 14, 15 guys in the portal so far. But still a really ultra-talented roster at AM. That's one thing that Jimbo Fisher could do was recruit to College Station. But after that, you're looking at the schedule and where is the scary matchup? At USC to end the season, you get Louisville home. You go to play Georgia Tech in Atlanta next year. I guess you could put that on the list. Well, but that, to, that's it. Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Right. It's, a, it, it's a neutral site, but it's still a, a road game. It's not in South Bend. It's not a true road game, but still. 
The schedule leaves a lot to be desired. You're waiting for one more game to be added, but it's not going to be a big matchup. You look at this schedule and you say there is no excuse for Notre Dame to not make the playoff outside of just a dearth of or a, a lot of injuries or or something happening because it is a very, very manageable schedule next year. You look at Florida State coming in in November to Notre Dame. You like the matchup in that respect. Uh, you have to go to Purdue. But by and large, you get past Texas A&M to start the season, and there's no reason you don't make the playoff. Even if you don't get past Texas A&M, going into that Florida State game, you should only have one loss with, with the, the way this schedule yeah, looks. Yeah, you should, but I, I just... Uh, yeah, I, I agree, but I I just don't think because Notre Dame is notorious, particularly under Marcus Freeman, to lose a game they shouldn't. I mean, I guess you could say Louisville was an upgrade from the year before with Stanford uh, losing that game in Marshall as well, but I just feel like Notre Dame's in a better spot if they win at Texas A&M because elsewhere, if you drop another game, you don't have a marquee win on that schedule either. And so... I think it's important for Notre Dame to win at Texas A&M. They should. They should be favored in that game on the road at College Station, in my opinion. A&M is a team where, uh, okay, ton of fans there. You have a new coach. It's going to be a new quarterback. But a lot of turnover. You have that game. But then beyond that, I mean, Florida State, you lose Jordan Travis. I I assume you're going to lose a lot of the great players from that defense, right, going pro, like, I'd be shocked if Jared Verse doesn't go pro, right? I mean, why why wouldn't he go to the NFL? I agree. Um, that that's a team again. Yes, they have talent, but it's not going to be the level of team that they had this season. Um, USC, there's no Caleb Williams next year, right? And Lincoln Riley's going to have a new defensive coordinator. Yeah, but they're going to have life life in the Big Ten. Yes, it is USC on the road. It's USC on the road. I I that's a hard game. I don't care. What's going on at USC? I don't know who they're missing or who they're or who they don't have. We're talking about guys leaving in December. It's, it's USC on the road. They're and not the, all of a sudden going to be five and seven next year. And then the the other game they add because Miami had to drop off the schedule due to the change in conference scheduling, um, which t- took us away from having Miami and Miami on the schedule, which is just really disappointing. <laughs> uh, but like, who do they add? Do they add Army? Is it an FCS school? Well, the discussion has been that they're going to play. It sounded like what somebody at Yankee Stadium because that was part mm-hmm. of the reason why they weren't wanted for the pinstripe bowl is because next year Notre Dame is going to play a game at Yankee Stadium that sounded like army didn't it am i am i that would be my guess i mean they're already playing that? navy at metlife so Just play all the academies play <laughs> air force play them all play space force does the space force have a I, I don't football think so. program yet okay due time Merchant Marines have a football program. Do they really? But, but they're like they're D3. Not a yeah, but they're not a branch of the military. They're part of it, but they're not part of the five. Anyway, uh, Marine Corps don't have one. So I think when you look at it and you look at Notre Dame's chances, and yeah, it's easy to say this in, in mid-December, but you look at the schedule and say it's very, very manageable. If, if you looked at 2023 and said that the season came down to three games, and by and large, it did. You went one and two in those. The outlier was the Louisville game. Okay. Then if you're putting three games of the 2024 schedule, it's at AM and at USC to bookend the schedule. And then Florida State at home in November. You need to go two and one in those games and not lose to anybody else. But as we've seen, Notre Dame has a tendency to lose to somebody else. They shouldn't. But but who knows? It's it's 
it's December. I mean, does does Louisville is Louisville as good next year? Is Georgia Tech really good next year? Is uh, who knows about Purdue? They turn it around, and if they're a seven win team, could they surprise Notre Dame at Ross A? You, you never you never know. Meanwhile, for Purdue, uh, Garrett Miller, their tight end, entering the portal. Uh, he battled injuries last season. Played well when healthy, but again, it was an injury issue for him. So best of luck as he looks to go somewhere else. Again, don't forget you can text Rasslin to 46862. Again, Rasslin to 46862. And you could be in the running for a pair of tickets. See WWE Sunday Stunner April 21st at the Coliseum. Coming up next, Rob Blackman, Purdue basketball play-by-play broadcaster, will join us to preview Purdue, Arizona. Number one versus number three in the Indy Classic tomorrow afternoon. That's next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, happy Friday. Thanks for being with us. Coming up this hour on the show, we'll talk with Rob Blackman, the Purdue play-by-play broadcaster for basketball to preview Purdue, Arizona. He'll be, be with us here shortly. Plus, IU plays their final marquee non-conference game against Kansas. What does success look like for the Hoosiers in this one? And the voice of the Comets, Shane Alberani, will join us uh, remembering Michael Franke and previewing the weekend ahead as the K's host the Utah Grizzlies for three straight at home at the Coliseum. That's all to come this hour on the show. Also, don't forget, you can text Rasslin to 46862. Again, Rasslin to 46862. Be in the running for a pair of tickets to WWE Sunday Stunner. April 21st at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. All right, let's bring on the voice of the Boilers, Rob Blackman on the line. Happy Friday. Good morning to you, Rob. Yeah, hey, Caleb, Kenny, how are you guys doing today? Doing well, doing well. Great to have you on. Purdue, Arizona, number one versus number three in the Indy Classic coming up tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Before we preview that, though, uh, I want to talk about Purdue and Alabama. Last weekend in Toronto, it was a slow start for the Boilers, but they found a way to battle back. And I think the the biggest thing that I saw in this game was the fact that Purdue gave up 19 threes and yet still won. Have you ever seen anything like that at the college level? Uh, have not. Certainly from a Purdue standpoint, have also never seen anyone shoot 46 threes in a game against Purdue uh, and thanks to the good folks in our sports information department who looked it up, and that it, it wasn't just me. It, that actually had never happened ever <laughs> against Purdue, uh, where a team attempted 46 threes and a team actually made 19. Um, it really was a – when you look back at it, it really wasn't that, that, that crazy of a game plan for Nate Oates in Alabama. Uh, they made it very clear from the tip that they were not going to challenge Zach Eady on the inside. Um, and if you look at Alabama and how they ha- handle their offense analytically, and they'll be the first to tell you this, this is no secret, uh, there are two types of shots that they want, either right at the rim or three-point shots. And obviously they weren't going to mess with Big Z uh, right at the rim. So they just said to heck of it, we'll just shoot as many threes as we can and, and see if maybe we can somehow you know pull this thing off. And, I mean, you think about this, guys, 46 threes in a 40-minute game. That, that's hard to do. <laughs> it is hard to do. Uh, but uh, they 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 tried it, and it's the first time I'd ever seen anyone go that route against Purdue. I've seen, especially since Zach Eady's been on the roster, I've seen some awfully crazy uh, game plans thrown at Purdue. I've never seen anything like that. So the fact that yes, Purdue was able to win a game 
uh, featuring that, uh, that, let's call it unique, unique style of offense from the opponent. Because we've seen Purdue win some grinders this year. Tennessee certainly would be an example of that. Uh, we've seen them win some up-tempo games. Uh, Marquette would be a good example of that. Uh, but we had never seen them win, let alone play a game against the, the type of uh, opponent or approach, I should say, that the opponent was going to have in Alabama. So uh, that was a good win for Purdue because you uh, you, you got to find a way to win all kinds of different games throughout the course of the season. And that, that certainly was one of them. Let's put it that way. And Rob, the game that, that Purdue did drop on the road to Northwestern since then, after ascending to number one, dropping that game in Evanston, and now back-to-back wins. Any any changes that you saw in the demeanor or anything with Purdue? Because people kind of pinpointed, oh, you know, they, they lose to Northwestern, and you know, you throw out the, the records when, when you play on the road in the Big Ten. But since that game, have you seen any tangible change with Purdue, or is it business as usual? Uh, you know, Justin, good question. I, I don't know if it's tangible uh, from a from maybe just uh, uh, watching on television or watching in the stands, uh, but there has been certainly a more uh, a more aggressive uh, approach, or well, aggressive isn't the right word, a more focused approach on the defensive end. Uh, Matt Painter was extremely disappointed with the second half defense uh, and overtime defense against Northwestern in that loss. Uh, has called it the worst uh, half of defense that Purdue has played all season, and it's not even close. Um, so uh, there was a renewed, uh, let's, there was a renewed focus. Let's put it that way, uh, and that was clearly relayed to our team, uh, both in film session and in the practices <laughs> following Northwestern. <laughs> there, there were a couple of those practices that guys, well, I'm sure, will never forget. Uh, uh, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. The, the emphasis was, was put back on the defensive end, and since then, you have seen a better team defensively. Now, to produce credit, you know, they've played some high-flying offenses here the last couple of games. Iowa came into Purdue as the number one scoring offense in the Big Ten. Uh, Alabama uh, was a top-five scoring offense uh, when they faced Purdue on Saturday. And now, wouldn't you know it, tomorrow, Arizona is second in the country in points per game. So uh, it, it's probably a good thing that Purdue refocused themselves on the defensive end, especially when you consider the, the murderer's row of offenses that they're playing here in this stretch. Rob Blackman, the voice of the Boilers, joining us on the guest line. Something that I don't know if it's necessarily under the radar, but I does think it needs to be more part of the conversation. Just the simple fact that Zach Eadie's having an even better season this year so far than he had Last season, do you think that's getting the attention it deserves to this point? I think I would also add to that that his numbers across the board are actually better against the high major competition, uh, which to me, and I've mentioned this a couple times on the radio broadcast, to me that's the most amazing statistic of all. You know, most, and I shouldn't say most, but a lot of guys uh, get some inflated numbers along the way against the, the lesser competition, the mid-majors and the low-majors, where they put up, you know, big scoring games or big rebounding games. Uh, Zach Eady has actually been the opposite of that. If you look across the board, Zach's numbers have been worse uh, when we've played the likes of the Texas Southerns uh, in, in the uh, in the Samfords. Uh, his numbers have been inflated against the Alabamas of the world and the Marquettes of the world and, and the Gonzagas. It's, it's, it's incredible to think about the numbers he's putting up against the high major teams, not, not the bad teams, really, really good teams. Um, so, yes, I, I, I think there's something to your point. I don't know if people are, and I even mentioned this on the broadcast because I'm, I'm guilty of it. If you're a Purdue fan, I don't think you maybe grasp right now the greatness that you are watching. Uh, this is very much Glenn Robinson-like. Now, 
if you look at the last three games for Zach Eady, he's averaging, I think, 30.7 or 30.9 points a game, somewhere in there. Um, now, I would preface to the Glenn Robinson comment with this. Let's remember Glenn averaged 30 points a game for the entire season, uh, which is pretty darn incredible. But 30 points a game over the last three games for Zach Eady uh, and double-digit rebounds as well across that same span, 11 rebounds, I think, a game. Uh, I mean, these are, and, and again, against high-major competition, uh, these are numbers, as a Purdue fan, you might not see again for a long time. Um, Glenn Robinson was doing it in the, in the early 90s, uh, you know, 92, 93, 94, right in there. Um, so now here we are, 2023, when we're finally seeing it again. Uh, so do we have to wait another 30 years, maybe, <laughs> to see this again? Uh, maybe. Uh, but he is, yeah, the numbers he is putting up are just monstrous. And I think, I think you guys would agree. Uh, there was certainly some... Uh, some trepidation going into the season that he was so good last year. I mean, national player of the year, obviously. Can he really take another step forward right at one point? At what point or have you plateaued? Well, obviously he hasn't plateaued because he keeps, he keeps getting better even this season. And I would also throw this in. Matt Painter has often said this, and I think there's so much truth to this. We have to remember Zach's only playing his seventh year of competitive basketball. Uh, he didn't start playing basketball till very late in life uh, as compared to most. So, we probably shouldn't be surprised that he's still improving because he's still learning the game, uh, which is a little scary to everyone that's playing Purdue on the rest of the schedule because if that guy's going to keep just getting better and better, uh, oh, my gosh, just think how good he could end up being. Rob, I, 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 from the outside looking in, I look at this Purdue team and, and from, from last year to this year, and so many people are going to say, well, we're going to judge Purdue on what happens in March, but I look at, at the backcourt in particular. I never felt with Purdue last year that, that the Boilermakers had that player in the backcourt that said, okay, he's the guy if if you need a secondary guy with Zach Eady. Now all of a sudden, you look at Braden Smith in year two, you look at Fletcher Lawyer in year two, you look at Lance Jones, a veteran coming in. All of a sudden, in my opinion, you went from zero guys to three guys in that backcourt that could be reliable on any given night against pretty much anybody. Yeah, and I think Lance Jones is the, is the of the three you mentioned Boy, he's the one you're happy that he decided to come to Purdue and play this uh, fifth season. Uh, you think about last March, how desperately Purdue could have used Lance Jones in that game against Fairleigh Dickinson when Purdue really just had nothing going from the perimeter, uh, what they couldn't have used for just one more perimeter scorer. Uh, and yes, uh, you know, the other part of that that you're talking about has been the just the renewed confidence of, uh, of, of both Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. Uh, now, Fletcher has been a little up and down this year, uh, offensively, but you know he had 27 points in that game against Tennessee. And last I checked, Tennessee is the best defensive team Purdue's played all season. Uh, the metrics would tell you that. Uh, so he had 27 against the best defensive team we played. And then uh, Braden Smith, oh wow, what he did against uh, Alabama on Saturday with a, the 27 points and eight assists and whatever it was, six rebounds or whatever. So I think the fact those two guys are just playing with a much higher confidence level. Lance Jones has been a huge addition, and also, gentlemen, the statistics would also, you know, you could make your argument easily with the stats. Purdue last year was a 32% three-point shooting team, not nearly as good as they should have been. This year, they're at 40% as a team. And why is that? Well, it's because the three guys I just mentioned have been really shooting the ball well from the three-point line, and, and that's really helped. Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers, joining us. So let's shift to Purdue and Arizona with this top three matchup. Coming up tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse down in Indy. 
This may be one of the few times, really, since Kofi Coburn exited the Big Ten, that Zach Eady's going to face up against another seven-footer in Omar Ballos. This perhaps one of the toughest tests since going up against Kofi Coburn for Eady? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is uh, that is spot on. Um, just because of not, not only uh, the fact they're seven feet tall, but they're so similar in not only size and strength, but the way they play their game uh, around the basket. Uh, Balo is not a guy that's going to step outside and start knocking down 15, uh, you know, 18 footers, uh, but he is 260 pounds, as you mentioned, seven feet tall, uh, and he's going to bang down low, and he's going to be a physical presence down there. Um, and he's a redshirt senior. I think that's also worth noting. This is not some freshman that's just trying to get his feet wet and learn what high major college basketball is all about. I mean, he he's a redshirt senior, and there are so many similarities between the two. I was. You know, doing the doing a little bit of homework this week, and just little things like uh, like Balo is preseason All American. Well, so Zach Eady, um, Balo's a preseason Pac-12 Player of the Year. Well, Zach Eady's preseason Big Ten Player of the Year. Last year, Balo was the was the tournament most valuable player at Maui. Well, this year, guess what? Zach Eady was the Maui MVP. So these guys have a ton of similarities, um, but most importantly, uh, they're both seniors, uh, and they both been around the block a few times. The other thing I would say for Balo, what he has going for him, that basically no one else that we ever play, and I mean ever, has going for him, they have four seven-footers on their roster. Now, only two of them play, but they have four. So Balo gets a chance in practice every day to compete against seven-foot competition. And again, most teams that Purdue plays, they do not have that luxury. Matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of teams on the, on the schedule that don't have one seven-footer. So not only is he a very skilled and talented player, he also gets to go against seven-footers every single day in practice. Um, so he will be up to the challenge for Zach Eady. There's no question about that. And Zach's going to be up to the challenge uh, uh, for Balo because that's just kind of – we mentioned the numbers earlier in the in the interview. He just plays better against higher-level competition. So uh, if you don't pay attention to anything else, uh, fans, when you're watching that game tomorrow, just watch those two guys go at it because that – that is going to be a battle royal. You guys are talking about giving away tickets for the WWE uh, in April. Uh, we're, we're going to have an early an early uh, taste of WWE, I think, uh, tomorrow at uh, at downtown Indianapolis between those two guys. Rob Blackman, voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, here joining us here this morning on Caleb and Kenny. And Rob, when you look at this non-conference schedule that Purdue is going through, Gonzaga and Tennessee and, and Marquette and Alabama and, and, and now Arizona coming up, tomorrow and how it prepares Purdue for the challenges, not just in the Big Ten, but especially in March. Do you feel like you're seeing, and maybe more importantly, of course, Matt Painter is seeing what he wants to see, positives and negatives, all different styles, all different uh, teams, all different challenges in this non-conference to prepare this Purdue team to reach its goals come March? Yeah, I uh, I think the key one you just used there was styles. Uh, and more importantly, how teams will defend Purdue. Uh, Purdue's only 10 games into the year, which is basically about a third of the way through the regular season, and it feels like Purdue has seen every different style defensively uh, that we could possibly see, other than the one thing Purdue hasn't seen, at least from start to finish, is a team that's just gone 2-3 zone or 1-2-2 matchup zone and just dared Purdue to shoot threes the whole time and, and, and take their chances. We, that's the one thing Purdue hasn't seen. Uh, I don't know if Purdue will see that probably till we get somewhere into the Big Ten schedule. But when you go back to Styles, 
uh, for instance, Marquette switched, switched everything five ways, uh, which meant at times their point guard was guarding Zach Eady underneath the basket. Uh, we have seen teams that have switched four ways but refused to switch any screens involving Zach Eady. Uh, we have seen teams double-team Zach Eady when he gets the ball in the low post. Uh, we have seen seen teams triple-team <laughs> Zach Eady when he gets the ball in the low post. Um, so it feels like Purdue has seen every different style of defense possible, again, with the exception of a team that just, uh, I guess, like an old Jim Beheim Syracuse zone, just sets in zone and, and you know, gets down on their knees and prays that you're not going to make enough threes to beat them. <laughs> um, so that is, uh, I think that's the most important part that Purdue has gotten through these first 10 games. And look, you mentioned the schedule. You mentioned the teams Purdue has played. I read this yesterday in our game notes. I couldn't believe it. I had to do a double take. But I think if I read it correctly, there have been nine games in in in, in the NCAA basketball schedule this season uh, that have involved uh, teams ranked 11th or better playing one another. So top 11 teams going at one another. That's happened nine times this year. After tomorrow, Purdue will have played in four of them, four of the nine. Basically, Purdue's played in half of those games all by themselves. So it has been a murderer's row of a schedule. But as Matt Painter told me in our very first coach's show to start the season, he said you always try to schedule to what you think the talent level of your team is. And he felt like this was a Final Four caliber team talent-wise, so that's why he scheduled it this way. If you think you have a middle-of-the-road team, as he said, then you schedule a middle-of-the-road schedule. When you think you have an elite team, you schedule an elite schedule, and that's what Purdue has done this season. Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers, joining us. Rob, as always, thanks for coming on to preview Purdue in Arizona. You'll be on the call. We'll have pregame starting at 3.30, tip at 4.30, right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Thanks, Rob. Okay, Caleb, Kenny, thank you, guys. That's Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers, joining us. Coming up on the other side, IU, their final marquee non-conference game. They host the number two Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, State of basketball, going to have some great college basketball matchups tomorrow. What constitutes not panicking and what constitutes success in this matchup for Indiana? We'll debate that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. You can text Rasslin. Rasslin. Rasslin to 46862 and be in the running for that pair of tickets to WWE Sunday Stunner, April 21st at the Coliseum. You can just text Rasslin to 46862. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. All right. Indiana, Kansas, as the Hoosiers host the number two Jayhawks at Simon Scott Assembly Hall coming up tomorrow afternoon. That's game number one. Uh, that game on WoWo 92.3 FM. What, tip at 12.30, I believe, in that one. Um, I think the first question is one, will Xavier Johnson play, right? Because if he plays, it feels like I. who knows? Maybe IU could come out and it'd be a completely different team. If he doesn't play, there is absolutely no hope. Uh, for them in, in winning this game. If if he does play, there's the slimmest of chances. So beyond that, uh-huh. you know, if they, they finally get that marquee non-conference, I mean, you look at who they played, and yes, they did beat North Carolina last year, 
But North Carolina was a team that just absolutely stunk, and they were already sliding at that point. I guess you can count that, but I don't really. I mean, because Carolina was ranked at the time, but I think everyone saw what was happening with that team. They were not the team people expected them to be. Right. And and that played out correctly. Um, but uh, between Kansas last year, UConn this year, um, Kansas again this year, Auburn, like it, it has not been good for Mike Woodson teams in the non-con. Uh, is this the game that maybe jumpstarts something? Like at, at what point, because Mike Woodson s- scheduled really tough in the non-conference. Arizona, I forgot, Arizona last year as well. That was the other one I was forgetting. I like the line that Rob Blackman said about Matt Painter. You kind of schedule to your level of your team in the non-conference. Mike Woodson has not done that. He's overscheduled. Yes. Which is fine with me. Maybe it pays off in the Big Ten season for Indiana. For me tomorrow with Indiana, in terms of what you want to see, I want to see competency. Mm-hmm. Can they play competently against a very good opponent? Because we really haven't seen that, quite frankly, in Mike Woodson's entire tenure against elite opponents for Indiana. People will throw out North Carolina. North Carolina didn't even make the tournament. People throw out Xavier. Yeah, I guess it was a Sweet 16 team last year. But by and large, IU lacks competency against really good opponents. And that's not an excuse anymore in year three. So can we see that out of Indiana tomorrow? I mean, losing by 20 to UConn, they looked bad in that game. Getting blown out against Auburn, they looked bad in that game. Those are really the only two difficult teams they've played all season long this year. And they looked terrible in both of them. So my expectations for next for, for tomorrow for, for Indiana just look like you belong on the court. Yeah, especially I mean, at home, right? That's the yeah. thing. It's not a neutral site game. You're hosting Kansas. And look like you actually belong out there. The only time that we've seen Indiana look like they belong consistently under Mike Woodson's tenure is against Purdue. Yeah, ironically. In terms of against elite opponents. Is that the only time that Indiana really looks competent against really good opponents? Uh, to me, it's just like, don't get blown out, and and even if you lose, if it's by twelve or less, and say Kansas pulls away in the final two minutes, you know free throws that sort of thing, that at least you competed. Compete into the second half. Yes, compete with the Jayhawks. Hunter Dickinson. I mean, at, at the very least, you look at strength on strength up there yeah. with Dickinson. But when you look at uh, Kevin McCullers Jr., how are you going to med- to match up with him? Fifth year guard. A uh, guy from where did he go? Texas, Texas Tech, Texas Tech, Texas Tech. But Dickinson leads him in scoring, uh, so he's the guy. You and IU at, already has the scout on Dickinson, right? Yeah. You look at McCuller, and he's averaging nineteen seven and five, a six seven guard. So that's primarily the reason why you need Xavier Johnson out there to be able to defend him. Uh, you look at KJ Adams, who's solid. Dewan Harris Jr. Is solid as well. This is a very deep team for Kansas, but I think the expectation tomorrow, take wins and losses out of it. Just look like you belong on the court with Kansas. Uh, a couple of texts rolling in. Uh, this one at 46862. IU has zero guard play. Woodson has been a letdown so far, in my opinion. He doesn't recruit the state of Indiana 
or guards in general, they always looked outmatched and outcoached. Um, I mean, he's getting players from the state. I'm not. I'm not too worried. I don't really worry about where co- players come no. from as long as you win. As which long Mike as you Woods win, it's not it, doing it enough. It, it doesn't matter. The zero guard again, though. They just there's no depth at point guard because Xavier Johnson's hurt. I, I think. But the that said, is that's on Mike Woodson. Yeah, though. it is on Mike Woodson. That is on Mike Woodson. And the Auburn loss, he he didn't have a, an explanation for what happened. That's also concerned. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, when your coach doesn't have answers, to, but you look at, at recent history with Mike Woodson. So you play the number five team in the country, lose by 20 against UConn. I mean, Auburn wasn't even ranked and you got rolled. Uh, outside of Purdue, I'll give them credit. They always get up for Purdue, but they played a number eight Kansas team last year, got blown off the, the court. They played a top 10 ranked Arizona team last year in the non-conference, got blown off the court. They did beat North Carolina, but that ended up not being a tournament team last year. So you look at the year before in Mike Woodson's first year, and they didn't really have a marquee win outside of Purdue. And and here's an interesting question for you. I, mean, we got, I know we got to go to break because we got Shane Alberani on the other side, is is the pressure not as much on Mike Woodson in year three because he has had success against the Boilermakers? If he was over against Purdue, you think the noise around Mike Woodson is is more? No, because he got to the tournament both years. I think if he missed the tournament, there would be considerable uh, yes. pressure. I forgot the the uh, low expectations yeah, that right? Indiana has the, now for their program. He met the, the bare minimum, which is making the tournament. That's the equivalent to... Notre Dame fans being satisfied with making a bowl game. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's where and, you and are, not Indiana winning, fans. Not winning nine plus games. No, it's uh, let's just get to a bowl game. Uh, IU is let's just get to the tournament. But I do believe, I do believe if Mike Woodson was over against Purdue and everything else was the same, the pressure on Mike Woodson would be much bigger than it is now. Because there's like, seriously, like next to no heat uh, because he made back-to-back tournaments. Really? Yeah. Well, they hadn't done that since what, I know, 2015, 16? Low, low expectations. But <laughs> right, coming back into tomorrow, just look like you belong against Kansas. Don't go out on your home floor and just get blown out by 20. Look like you, you can somewhat put up a fight against one of the best teams in the country, not named Purdue. Coming up on the other side, Shane Alberani, voice of the comments, will join us. Remember Michael Franke plus... The weekend ahead for the K's as they try to get back on track hosting the Utah Grizzlies. He joins us on the other side. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and you with us on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. Don't forget to text Rasslin to 46862, and you'll be in the running for a pair of tickets. See WWE Sunday Stunner. April 21st at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. Again, wrestling to 46862, uh, and you'll be in the running for a pair of WWE Sunday Stunner tickets, the show coming up April 21st of next year. Joining us now on the guest line, it is the voice of the Fort Wayne Comets, Shane Alberani. Good morning, Shane. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Now, is that wrestling with a W or an R? Either one. Uh, We're accepting multiple... (laughs) Forms of spelling. This is more of an open-ended okay. one. <laughs> I just want to make sure I got it right before I send it in. <laughs> yes. Great great question. Great question. Um, we're, we're pretty open-ended on that. So that event coming to the Coliseum in April. Obviously, the Comets, though, starting tonight at home, hosting three straight 
against the Utah Grizzlies. Before we get to that, uh, a, a very newsworthy week for the comments. Michael Franke, longtime team co-owner and, and team president, passing away. Uh, is there a particular story or moment that you had with Michael that really stands out to you? <laughs> I, you know, uh, I've had, I have so many. You know, it, it was a rough week, and you know, we all shed a lot of tears. Because uh, Michael was our big brother, uh, you know he was the glue that held the comets together. You know he was the driving force uh, for for the comets for 33 years, and he's the reason why we all get to play hockey this weekend at the Coliseum. So uh, yeah, it's been a rough week, but yeah, you know what? We Michael was always there to make make us laugh and to make you laugh. And I have so many stories that I can't say on the air, uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know I. The one thing I I, I I will always miss, and I I mean I'm, this is I because I, Mike has not been to a game since last spring, and uh, the one thing I miss is that Mike coming into the, the press box and he would sit down right in front of me, and he would always try to get me to break. He would always try to get me to to lose concentration or to laugh or to just stop talking, which I would do often because he would do something or say something or throw something at me during the game. <laughs> uh, so I very much miss that. <laughs> He was very much unique in that respect in a lot of different respects that uh, he, I, I guess he just kind of kept it real all the time. He would tell you what he thought about the team. He, th- he would, he would, he would try to mess around with you on the air. I mean, just, he, he was a, 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 a beacon of levity, I think through, through oh, everybody yeah. who, oh, who yeah. dealt with him. And, and Mike, you know, he, he was a, a loud talker like myself, you know, he was actually an old radio guy, you know, he, he started out in radio. So, uh, you know, he would sit down below me and, and Mike would have conversations with people and, and really, sometimes, you know, they weren't very positive towards how we were playing. And he was so loud about it. I told Michael, <laughs> I can hear everything you say. It is going out on the air, everything you are saying right now. But I think <laughs> anyone listening would probably just have thought, oh, this is just another fan. Which really it was, because that's what Michael was. He was a fan. <laughs> he was. And, and very rare. You know, they always say, well, you don't want fans running the, the, the franchise, right? Well, he was able to do that. And, and be a consummate professional in that realm and being heavily involved over the years in various leagues and, and all that, but also at heart was still a fan. Oh, absolutely. And that, that was the beauty of Michael. And that's all the Franke brothers. You know what? They had the idea one day that they were going to own the Comets when they were kids. And uh, when, uh, when it came about, you know, in, in the summer of 1990, they made it happen. And they never stopped being fans. I mean, they hired me. I'm a fan. You know, I'm a fan since I'm nine years old. So, uh, yeah, you know, and, and I think that comes out, you know, the, the passion that we all have for the, for, the, for the Comets, you know, it comes out because we, we're not just employees, man. We're, we're fans. And, you know, we are, we are just the keepers of the Comet name, you know, and someday we're all going to have to pass it along. But the fact that, you know, we were here to sustain it for so many years and to keep it here in Fort Wayne, it really is a remarkable story. And that's, that goes, you don't, you don't find that in any sports at all. Shane Alberani, voice of the comments, joins us. You, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're a fan. You're hired by the franchise, hired by the Frankies to, to do the play-by-play job, among other duties with the franchise. And what was that experience like for you coming in as a fan, knowing that, hey, at least ownership, they're also fans, like they understand that perspective? Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I've been reflecting a lot, obviously, about Michael and it. You know, if it wasn't for just a chance meeting with myself and Michael 28 years ago, my life is a lot different. Uh, you know, uh, he brought me into the organization, you know, again, just as just a, I was just a kid, you know, so, but, uh, you know, he, 
very much took care of me for so many years. Whatever I needed, you know, he was there to help. And, you know, the night I took over for Bob, uh, you know, Michael knew that was going to be a very rough night for me, obviously. Um, and he, was, he refused to let me go through it alone. He, he did color with me that night because he wanted to make sure that I was okay and I got through that game, you know, you know okay. So he, he sat next to me and he did – he actually did the pregame, did the introduction to me, and uh, uh, was with me all night long. And, and that's one thing I'll, I'll never, I'll always be thankful for, among thousands of other things Michael did. Well, Shane, looking at, at this year's Comets Club, what would Michael be saying heading into this weekend with three in three <laughs> against Utah? Oh, uh, I mean, he would say, uh, well, we need to win two out of three. We got to win the weekend, you know, uh, and that's. Uh, uh, that's an obtainable goal with this squad. So what's, what's fun about this team is that, well, about the whole division, it's like everybody essentially has the same record. So it's really hard to like say, hey, you're in second place or you're in seventh place because there really is no difference. There's two points between seventh and second. Uh, but the Comets actually have a better winning percentage than, uh, than half the teams in the division. So uh, every weekend is big. They're playing a lot of games in the month of December. Uh, and uh, it's a chance to make a move because now you're finally going outside the division. you got three games against Utah, who has not won a game on the road uh, all season. They're 0-7, which is frightening to me. Uh, you're playing them three times. But, uh, uh, no, three winnable games. And then you're going to go next week and play three games in Iowa, which will be huge in the standings because that's one of the teams that you're chasing. If you can win two out of three on the road there, going into the Christmas holiday, the Comets are going to be looking pretty good. Shane Alberani joins us, voice of the Comets, with us on the guest line. The K's looking to get their offense going after struggling offensively the last couple weeks. Uh, there's a bit of, of a gap still on the schedule until Toledo is, is back on the schedule on December 31st. What are you looking for this weekend But before that matchup with Toledo, which uh, it's just the reality. All the fans are always looking at beating Toledo. Yeah, and that, and you have to because the, the division goes through Toledo and and the uh, the Western Conference is going to go through Toledo. So, yeah, no, it is it's a legit uh, concern, you know, you, you got to beat that team. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, this team has got the horses. It's got the talent. Uh, I, you see it every night, you know. And one night, they're going to put it all together. And I, I think right now they're they're trying to be a little bit too perfect in the offensive zone, you know. And they're, they're passing up good chances for great chances, and you can't do that, you know. Uh, so, you know, if they were to start, you know, pepper in the net and starting to get some of those ugly, greasy goals. You know, I, I can see this team really starting to pile on offensively. But, you know, they scored two goals in two games last weekend, and that's unacceptable. And they know that because you're wasting good defense and good goaltending when you're doing that uh, because goaltending has been outstanding all the way around. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, well, the, the, this team has got a lot, of, a lot of things going for it. it. There has not been a lot of call-ups. There has not been a lot of injuries. It's pretty much been the same unit. All, all season, so that is a big, big plus because you're not moving guys in and out of the lineup, so they're going to have that chemistry. Shane, w- w- we've seen a lot of turnover with the roster. Tristan Pelletier is, is left last week, and, and you, uh, we go back and forth on if that was his decision and the coach's decision, but you know, last couple of years, the comments, well, we need, we need something new, right? Comments fans, we need something new. Now you're seeing that roster turnover, and some people are like, well, there's nobody left. Well, you can't yeah. have it both ways, right? So we're seeing a new <laughs> regime come in, and whether guys fit in or not, is uh, indicative of maybe the change in style. So it's kind of like, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too kind of thing. 
Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, you get the detractors who want it all changed, and then it's like, oh, yeah, there's no familiar faces, or, oh, man, I wish you had this guy back or this guy. Well, <laughs> you're right. You can't have it both ways. So, uh, no, I mean, it, it was due for a, a, a reboot, uh, and I think uh, we got uh, the right coaches and uh, the right players and the right affiliation uh, to do that. And again, you know, this team is over 500, which is good. You know, some teams, a lot of teams can't say that. And uh, being in the Central Division where you play so many games against those opponents, you have so many chances to, to uh, go up in the standings because every game is essentially a four-point swing. But I think getting outside of the division here this weekend, and then they played a game against Tulsa, another Mountain Division team last Friday, and beat them 4-2 uh, is, uh, is a big plus because it'll start getting stale and I think you're going to start pressing when you start to see those teams every other week. And uh, so now the Comets going to relax a little bit. It's going to be a great weekend. Uh, you know, we're going to play, pay tribute to Michael tonight. Uh, it's report card night, uh, so you're expecting a huge crowd. And uh, I think a, a great tribute to Michael was, would be to have the Coliseum filled tonight and through all, all the weekend's games. Yeah, and play well, too. Play well for Michael, for God's sakes. Please at home. But, uh, you know, when you look at you mentioned it, Shane, about the stability of the roster right now, not much call ups. Is that a concerted effort by the 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 organization above Bakersfield and Edmonton to try to keep guys here? Or is it more just a a product of circumstance? Not a lot of injuries and call ups above the Comets right now. Yeah, no, I think it's a product of circumstance because they do want these guys playing, but, hey, if they needed them, they're going to call them up. But, uh, no, I, I think Bakersfield and Edmonton is quite happy to see guys like Turlinden uh, and uh, Xavier Bernard and Carl Berglund. Uh, these guys get a lot of minutes because they want them playing. You know, they're rookies. They, they, you know, they, they have bright futures, and they would like them to get as many minutes as possible. And if they go up to the AHL right now, it probably wouldn't happen. You know, they'd be stuck on the fourth line or maybe in the stands. Uh, they'd just be a, a seat filler there, but they don't want that. So that's the different uh, change in philosophy uh, that that most AHL clubs and NHL clubs are going. Like you know, we have to have a you know two tier system, and that means guys have got to play. So that's what's great. Uh, Bakersfield is, is letting them play, and uh, it's it's going to pay off for everybody in the long run when you do that. Final question for you, Shane, before we let you go. We know Lake Tahoe will be a expansion franchise, the Night Monsters. Co-owned by Tim Tebow will enter as the 29th team. There's talk too about eventually getting to 32 teams for the ECHL, one affiliate per NHL team. Uh, we're seeing just a true, I guess, double A system when it looks at when you look at the ECHL and what it means for the league. And it feels like you know for the first time in a long time, maybe since the old IHL, it's just the the Comets are in a firm spot in terms of their league, but it's also a very difficult league. It's the biggest by far uh, that the K's have been in, and now it only seems to to uh, grow over the next coming years as they look to try to get to 32 teams. Yeah, uh, that's, you know, that, that's the model here. Uh, you you want to strive to get that two-tier system, and you know the NHL and, and the AHL, I wouldn't say they fought it, but they're just not quite uh, quick to catch on. I think some teams are figuring out, like Edmonton, uh, especially when you have a team that that has, uh, uh, you know, they, they they have a salary cap issue right now up in Edmonton. So you know they're not going to be able to go out and get free agents or make trades. They're going to have to promote within. within. So they've kind of figured that out. And other uh, smaller market teams are also doing that. But even a major market team like Toronto, uh, Toronto, they, they've they've clasped on to the two <coughs> to the to, to that two tier system with with Newfoundland for years now. 
so uh, yeah, you know what? It's it's just slow going, but yeah, you're seeing you're seeing more and more uh, AHL and NHL teams saying, hey, this this double uh, A thing might might work out because you see more and more guys. Uh, you know, only a handful so far get that call. You know, from double A AA to triple A, and then finally to the NHL. So uh, yeah, you know, I think it's. It's in progress. It's something that's not going to take. It's going to take a long time. It's not an overnight thing. But you're slowly starting to see it over the last last four or five years. Uh, teams starting to embrace it. Shane Alberani, voice of the K's. Shane, as always, appreciate the time and look forward to comments and the Utah Grizzlies coming up this weekend at the Coliseum. Thanks, guys. That's Shane Alberani with us coming up on the other side. We'll wrap things up. A bull caused a bit of a traffic delay. In New Jersey. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here for the week on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Final time for you to enter to win a pair of tickets. See WWE Sunday Stunner, April 21st at the Coliseum. Just text RASSLIN to 46862. RASSLIN. RASSLIN. However you want to spell it. Yeah, we'll accept multiple forms of spelling for this. You know, we were talking before the break with Shane Alberani about the expansion of the EC of the ECHL eventually getting to probably 32 teams, going to be at 29 next year. And I think Comets fans too need to do a little bit of a reality check when you think about the size of the ECHL. Back when the Comets swept the Turner Cup playoffs in 1993, of course, sweeping Cleveland and Atlanta and then the San Diego Gulls in the championship, there were not there were 12 teams in the IHL that year. 12. And even when they expanded and got two big birds britches when they had teams in Detroit and Orlando and San Antonio and Houston and Utah and Vegas, it was 19 teams in the mid-1990s, late 1990s. You're going to be at 29 next year. It is much more difficult to have success and, and win championships in a 29-team league than a 12-team league or a 19-team uh, league or when it was the CHL or whatever it was, United Hockey League, when there was like six to eight teams in there and the K's were winning it. So I think Comets fans, they get excited about banners and championships, but you also have to realize like you are actually in a real league. You're not playing in the Colonial Hockey League or the USHL, the the thrown together leagues. Like this is a real double A league with 29 teams starting next year. It's a lot more difficult to win leagues like this. Yes, very much so. I mean, expansion, it, it's it's an odds game, right? And very the much odds is. Game and the odds go up with every team you add. Much tougher. All right, final story of the day and of the week. Trains were delayed by a bull on the tracks at New Jersey's Penn Station. Uh, it was up to a 45-minute delay. There's a picture of the bull just kind of standing there, hanging out. Like, where does a bull come I, from? I don't Jersey? know. The, the bull apparently came from Newark Airport. <laughs> Uh, so this happened yesterday. The bull escaped at about 1030 from a location near Newark International Airport and made its way down to the New Jersey transit tracks to Penn Station. So the bullet escaped. Then it fled back toward the airport on the tracks. Uh, Newark and Port Authority police able to corner it in a fenced lot, shot it with a tranquilizer. Uh, police at a local animal sanctuary was contacted to transport and care for the bull. No, no info that well, I could see on where it from. Yeah, there's still questions on where it came from. He may have come from uh, uh, local radio station WCBS 880 reported that he had escaped from a slaughterhouse citing unnamed sources. So if that's true, if this dude just made a break at a slaughterhouse, I mean, you got to find a home for this guy. 
This they, isn't just a bull. Like, this is, I mean, they got... This is a longhorn. Yeah, a longhorn. Yes, very much so. And uh, they, the uh, animals, the Skylands Animal Sanctuary and Rescue named him Ricardo after tranquilizing him and removing him <laughs> from the tracks. Just a dude making a run for it. Saw the end game at the slaughterhouse and said, what do I got to lose? Kudos to Ricardo. Absolutely. Thanks to Rob Blackman. Thanks to Shane Alberani for Justin Kinney. I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd coming up at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Final chance to win WWE Sunday Stunner tickets. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>